Acts chapter 14, um, and talking about kingdom and about becoming a chameleon. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Susanna. I'm going to step on that. Good to see everyone. And it's been, been good meeting some new people the last couple of weeks. And congratulations for all you K-State students finishing the first week of school and any other students, too. Um, we are, I just want to say this. Thank you to everybody who helped with our new ministry house over the summer. We had a, a, a big work day yesterday morning. I know I was gone. I was at a wedding with our friends Brant and Amanda in Oklahoma yesterday, but I saw it this morning. It's, it's looking great. Thanks to all of you that have helped with that. That's just an exciting new environment that God's provided for us, but through the labors of, of a lot of us. And um, so thank you. And I, I want to give a special thanks to two people who, who said, I want to help with planning this and organizing this and serving in this area at the beginning of the summer, who have just given a lot of hours. And that's Elena and Edward McDonald over there. They just, they've given so much. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, especially to them. A lot of people have given a lot, and they've given an, an extra lot. So, thank you so much. Um, before, um, you know, I think I'm just going to, I did have a couple discussion questions, but I think we're just going to skip those this morning, because we got, we, this, this will just, we're just going to dive right in. Um, as, as Susanna said, we're talking today, as we're going through the book of Acts, um, we're looking at Acts chapter 14. So this is the story of the early followers of Jesus, the early church, and how God worked in their lives, how God worked in the world, and really dynamic things that happened through them. And we're talking about, in this chapter, we see some people who changed very quickly and dramatically. And I think that's appropriate because 12 months from now, a lot of you are going to look back on your life and say, wow, I changed a lot. I changed a lot this year. Who I am now is very different from who I was 12 months ago. And the question is, is change good? And the answer is that depends, right? It depends on what kind of change. One of our core values as a church and as a movement is that growing people change. And so anyone who's a disciple of Jesus, inherent in that is the idea that we are growing and changing. If we're not changing then we're not growing, and we're probably actually regressing. And so change is essential to, to life and growth. Um, but not all change is good, right? We, and even it's been a big thing in, in Christian circles the last several years, statistics have shown that a very disturbing number of 18-year-olds who go off to college who grew up in church end up falling away from their faith. And so that change is not good. And so we could all look at our own lives and go... And look at times like, well, there was a change, and that wasn't so good. And hopefully there are times where we can say, here's a change that was good. And in this chapter, we, we see two groups of people who change dramatically. One is good, and one's not good. And, and the title is, How to Change Without Being a Chameleon. And that's, in our, in our, our picture this morning, that we're, not, we're considering that not a good thing. So a chameleon is very changeable, Right? They change colors readily, but they change, their change is surface deep, and it's determined by the environment they're in and the mood that they're having. And so that's, that's something very, you know, not a, not a very good thing to base your life upon, is the environment you're in or the mood that you're having. But so often, that's what drives our life and our decisions. 
And so the other group experienced a deeper, positive, and long-lasting change. And that's who we want to be like. That's what we want to look at. So let's jump on in. Acts chapter 14, verse, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read on the, the screen here. At Iconium, and so there are going to be a bunch of city names listed here. These are all in, uh, in modern-day Turkey, what was, was known as Asia Minor, but this was in the region of, of what's now Turkey. So you don't have to know the details, but that's where they're at. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual. Paul and Barnabas were these two uh, early followers of Jesus who were going around the world bringing the message of Jesus and his kingdom. They went as usual into the, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So there's some quick change and positive change. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poison their minds against the brothers. Continue on here. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There's a lot laying the foundation of this chapter, it's, we see the positive change happen when Paul and Barnabas brought God's message, brought the word to people. And that's just kind of a fundamental understanding. Romans 10, 17 says that, that faith comes, um, faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. And so if we want to have change that leads us towards more faith in God, more knowing of him, the way to, to move that direction is by hearing his word whether that's being spoken, whether that's reading your Bible. There's just something that happens when the Word of God comes. And these people, they, they showed up that day, they woke up, they had no idea that they were going to believe that Jesus was the new king of the world. And like we talked about last week, that the renewal of everything had, had started. They had no idea that they were going to become believers in Jesus. But they heard this message and something took hold in their heart and they changed. And so for us to, to change, it's important to place ourselves around, around God's Word. Um, so, but then we see that, that not everybody, there were some people who heard and responded that way, there were other people who didn't like it, and there were voices and experts who poisoned their minds and said, no, don't listen to that, and so there was this division, and you know, a lot of times we think, we, we, we would hope that, that the life that God has for us is one with no conflict, with no relational difficulties, that everybody's going to like us. And that would be really nice. You know, I would like it if everybody liked me. I think most of us would like that. But we see this reality that whenever there's always this division, there's a division. There are, there are two, two sides. Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And there's going to, I'm, everywhere where I go, there's going to be division. There's going to be, people are going to have to decide. Are they, follow, are they with me? Or are they against me? And we see that here, and we, we, see, this, we see this today. Um, yeah, let's keep, keep going from there. So after that, there's some miracles that were happening. I'm just going to summarize a little bit. Paul and Barnabas are bringing the message, and there's this remarkable miracle that happens where there's a lame man, and Paul looks at him and says, be healed in the name of Jesus. And this lame man, he hasn't been able to walk his whole life, jumps up on his feet, and, and is able to walk. And so, things get really interesting here. And I think this chapter is, is kind of funny. I, I hope you can appreciate the humor of human nature that we see 
laid out in this chapter. So let's, let's watch what happens next. Um, in verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, when they saw this remarkable healing, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Hermes was considered the messenger of the gods. And so they saw this miracle, and the people's conclusion was, wow, these two men aren't just men, they're actually Zeus and Hermes walking amongst us. That seems kind of crazy, but that's literally what these people were thinking and believing. The priest of Zeus, you know, he's, he should be the expert of all things Zeus, right? Like, he's the priest. He knows who Zeus is. He knows what's up. Whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. I mean, this is, this is wild. I mean, imagine this happening in Manhattan, Kansas. I don't know who, if, who Zeus and Hermes would be in our culture. Be like, like, Bill Snyder's still alive, so I guess <laughs> probably, probably not him. But, but it's interesting that people were so, like, easily swayed to believe something ludicrous, something kind of crazy. And it's also interesting that the expert, you know, the expert in all things Zeus, he was also, we don't know if, like, I kind of think it's more like the people were all going this way, and he's like a lot of leaders today. He's like, oh, there go the people. I better, I better go with them because I'm supposed to be a leader. Right? Yeah, I don't want to lose my position, and so let's just go with, go with the flow, go with the currents of what's going on. And so we see that both the people and the experts really don't know what the heck is going on, and they're, they're very fickle. They're really very, very fickle. Um, and that's kind of, uh, we're, we're going to talk about this more, so I'll hold off on that. But you'd, you'd, think that, you'd think that people would know better, but they go down this road that just doesn't really make much sense at all. But they're trying to process things. All right, we'll keep reading here. When the, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out in the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? You've been going along with us in, in Acts. You know the book of Acts. There's another story where Herod, people thought he was God, and he didn't deny it, and then God struck him dead. And worms ate him. So they're probably like, oh, okay, don't do that. All right? We, we don't want to go down that road. So friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Okay? So here you've got like, this is their moment. I mean, everything like American Idol, you're dreaming of glory and adulation and people thinking, like, this is it. They have, they've got a major following right now. Not, people think they're gods. They're trying to sacrifice the animals to them. They are, they are the pinnacle. All right, so what happens next? They're trying to keep them from sacrificing. And then, verse 19, the very next verse, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. All right, do you see what happened right here? The crowd, the people went from one moment, thinking they were gods, to a few minutes later, trying to kill them with rocks. That's what, 
stone means. It doesn't mean they were drinking, doing a lot of drugs or something, all right? They were literal rocks that they, were, they threw, at them, threw at them and thought he, to the point that they thought he was dead. They went from being gods to attempted murder. And you just got to, like, pause about this because this tells us something very insightful about human nature. It tells us something insightful about our nature, which is that we are very fickle. We are very easily led by our emotions and voices around us, by crowds, by experts. It's very easy for us to be led one way and then the other, just kind of yanked around without any, without any, any bearings. Um, the, the definition of fickle is being marked by lack of steadfastness, constancy, or stability, given to erratic changeableness, or not, get, not constant or loyal in affections, like a fickle lover. Now, this is a description of people. I wish it wasn't true, but this is people. Jesus knew this in, in John 2, um, 23 25. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we read this. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. So it's good. But Jesus didn't trust them, or didn't entrust himself to them, because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And as we're thinking about this, it can be easy to be like, Oh, yeah, that's, I know a lot of people like that. I maybe people come to mind, like, yeah, they, they sure are fickle. But it's important to realize, I'm fickle. I mean, I, this morning I got up, got myself, a, was ready to pour myself a glass of milk, and it took me like 15 seconds to decide which glass to put it in. I'm like, do I go with the CTG glass or the Star Wars glass? I was kind of like stuck there for a minute. I'm kind of like pulled both directions. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I don't know. Like, but it was just like, the decisions and the feelings and the emotions and the things that were just were so easily pulled different directions and have a hard time being decisive with the right things. Um, and so to, to, to have real change, good change, without being a chameleon, the first thing we got to do is to admit, you got to admit that you are fickle. You got to admit that, you know, this is, I got strong tendencies this direction. I, I am easily swayed by circumstances. I'm easily swayed by my emotions. I'm easily swayed by the crowd. Now, this year, I've been, I've been around the university campus for like almost 30 years now. It's kind of crazy. I will tell you, I can promise you, there will be many people who will find themselves going directions that they never thought they would go this year. There are going to be lots of people making moral compromises that they said, I will never do that. And then it may not be very long before they realize, oh, wow, I, there, here I am. I did that. There will be a lot of people who have came to college with one set of beliefs and one ideology. And all it takes is one professor one expert, like this priest of Zeus, who comes against that idea with really a shallow rationale, and people are totally thrown away, totally swayed by that. It is, they, we are very easily swayed by all sorts of things. 
And so um, it's important to admit, you know, I, I'm fickle. Like, I, there's stuff in my heart that I'm easily influenced by things that I, I shouldn't be. Um, and so the second thing you've got to do is question your experts. Because we, ex- we need the right experts. We need the right authorities. We need the right voice to base our life and our change and our direction upon. But we need to be careful that, that they're the right ones. Um, and we could talk about, you know, who those are. In our culture, there are a lot of experts, whether it's the political establishment or the educational establishment or the, like I said last week, the pseudo-scientific establishment, the healthcare. care. There are all these experts that it's important that we, that we really look and, and, not, and not just trust everything that we hear. But I think there's, a, there's an expert that's much more prevalent than any of those, and it's in all of us. You know what that expert is? Our own feelings and our own opinions. Now, in, in, our, in our culture, really the highest authority becomes ourself, has become ourself. It's the idea of, like, be true to yourself. Live out. Like, whatever your inclinations are, that's the true you. If you feel like doing this, if this is who you're attracted to, or if this is what you want to do, this, be true to those feelings and desires. Be true to trust your feelings, trust your opinions, trust what feels right to you. You know, that's really a, a very dangerous way to live. To trust that every impulse, every desire, every strong opinion that you have is trustworthy. You know, there are, what about the mass murderer? Right? They have strong impulses. They have strong desires. There's got to be some authority outside of ourself that, that grounds us. Because, and we, if we're honest, we look at where those opinions have often led us. Oh my goodness. Like, not very trustworthy. And so, the biggest expert that we need to, to question is just our own opinions, our own perceptions, what seems right to us. In the book of Judges, it's a whole book about just dark things that happen to the people of Israel. And the reason why the line that's repeated over and over again is every person was doing right, what was right in their own eyes. When we do what's right in our own eyes, it always leads us astray. Um, yeah. So, to not be a chameleon, we've got to admit we're fickle, and then we've got to question our experts. But the good part of the story is that not everyone in the story is fickle. There are a number of people who are quite the opposite. And these are the people who are the faithful disciples, who are, who are placing their loyalty and their allegiance in Jesus. And then there's something in them that is charting a course that is very different and very steadfast and very true. Um, Acts 14, did I? 14, 20. Um, so they preached the gospel in that city, verse 21, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So everywhere they go, Paul and Barnabas are bringing this message that Jesus is the risen king of the world, calling people to turn from their sins and place their allegiance in him, place their faith in him. And people who are responding are the new disciples, which was the name of followers of Jesus. And these are, there are a number of disciples in every city who are different than that fickle crowd. 
They are saying, you know what? We have our absolute reference point. Jesus is king. And that is the grounding for our life. And we can stand upon that. And that doesn't mean that their life is going to be easy or that things aren't coming against them. Quite the opposite, right? Every, everywhere where they go, there's persecution. People are trying to kill them. People are hating on them. I mean, there, it, is, it is intense opposition. But because they have this understanding that this Jesus is God, Jesus is King, this is what's real, they are, and he is, this, is a, this is a story, this is a mission that he's bringing his good kingdom, his new life into the world, everywhere where believers are. And they are able to stand on that, and they are able to personally change in a way that is positive. And so the third thing we got to do is, is be faithful and flexible. Be faithful and flexible. I think this is, this, is really, this is really profound, actually. Because these disciples, it wasn't that they were inflexible. Like, hey, I know what's right. And I'm just going to, this is what I believe and I'm sticking to it. No, we see this tremendous amount of change in their life. They went from one place, but the message about Jesus and then walking with Jesus and following him meant that they had to make a lot of changes in their life. And we see that in our, in our life. In, in the Bible, every time Jesus called someone to follow him, there were always things that they had to leave and things they had to grow on, grab onto and change. People had to leave their families, they had to leave their money, they had to leave their occupations. There's always some part of their current life that they had, they had to leave behind. I remember for me, even I, I grew up in a Christian family and had a great mom and dad. Um, but there was, there was a point in my life of following Jesus where there were some things that I knew to follow Jesus, I have to go here. And it turns out my mom and dad didn't understand it. They didn't agree with it. There was a, there was a difficulty, there was tension in our relationship because of that. There was, what are you doing? I, and I was like, you know, I, I love you, Mom and Dad. I, I really believe this is what God is calling me to do. And I'm so glad that I did that. Some of the best parts of my life came out of some of those decisions. I would have never become the person I am without that. I remember um, a guy, actually my freshman year of college, who looked at me and said, hey, Jonathan, you're a Christian, right? And I'm like, yeah. He said, how much opposition are you facing in your life? How much, how much difficulty are people giving you because you're a Christian? I said, well, actually not much. It's, people treat me pretty good. And he said, well, Jesus said that if you're following him, you're going to be persecuted. So why is that? Like, why aren't you, like, crossing people more to where they're, they're offended and upset? And it was like a dagger to my heart. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'm just so nice. Like, I'm just so nice. Like, I'm not ruffling the water. Like, I'm, like, nice Christian, but I'm not speaking up. I'm not challenging things. I'm not, I'm not contending, really. And I started to realize, okay, I can't just, like, be nice, quiet guy and smile. Like, there's, there's got to be a boldness. There's got to be a looking at things and, and taking a stand. And that began to change me. That began, following Jesus made me become a different person than I, than I had been before that. And so... Following Jesus in, involves faithfulness to him. It's always Jesus is the centering point. It's that is who I'm faithful to. But then, that, if, we're, if we're following him, that means we are always moving. We are always 
leaving some things behind, and having to come into something new. And if we are not, if there is not that process happening, if I'm not changing, if I'm not, if I can't look back at six months ago and go, wow, there have been things that God has done in my life where I, I've had to change, I'm different than I was, then we're not, we're not really living as a disciple. We're not coming into the change that, that God has for us. Disciples, I've got this on a slide, um, this kind of sums it up. Disciples let go of the right things. They let go of the right things, the, like the things you're supposed to let go of, and those would be your opinions, your emotions. So, I mean, not, not that emotions are always are bad. Emotions are a good thing, but let go of basing your life upon your emotions. Um, let go of cultural norms. Let go of other gods, other priorities. Disciples let go of the right things, and they hold on to the right things. They hold on to Jesus as Lord. They hold on to God's word. They hold on to God's promises. They hold on to God's mission. You know, there, there are some things you've got to hold on to, no matter what. Like a bulldog, or a, what's the, uh, the breed of dog? Pit bull, yeah. There you go. Just like lock on and like, man, I am, no matter what, this is true, and I'm going to stand my ground on that. But then there's some things you've got to let go of. There's in, um, traditionally in Africa and parts of Asia, they would do this too. There would, if people wanted to catch monkeys, there's a certain kind of trap they would devise. And they would make, I saw a video of this. They made like a mound of dirt, and then inside of it, they put a nut or something that the, the monkey would like. And then they made a hole in it where they could put his hand through there. And so the monkey would... I just saw this video, it was crazy. He sticks his hand in the hole and then grabs onto the nut, makes a fist, and then he can't pull his hand back through. And he starts kind of going crazy. He's like trying to pull, he's trying to pull, he's trying to pull, but he can't let go of that thing. Like it's so like the instinct of like, I gotta have that nut. And I mean, there's thousands of nuts all over in the, in the forest he could find. But no, it's like this nut, I gotta have. This nut, and then the hunter just like walks up behind him and grabs him and puts a noose on him, and he's caught. And so often we're like that. Like, we're, there's certain things we're latched on to, and they're actually like, they actually might really hurt us. But if we're unable to let go of those things, then we get trapped, and we certainly can't come into the, the life that God, that God has for us. Now, I know in my own life, this, this year has been crazy. Um, and most of you know, but and I don't want to like talk about this all the time, but it's it's my life and it's it's a big deal, so I'm talking about it. But in, in February, my wife Reagan was diagnosed with, with very extensive cancer, metastasized cancer that had spread through her body, um, from her lungs to her brain and all over the place. And we she got brain surgery and then we were wrestling through what should happen next. And as we looked at the options, it seemed like the best option was to go to this place in Arizona that did some treatment that's, that we knew somebody that had great results with, and it just seemed like, you know, this could be the best thing for her. But that, taking that step, involved the total upheaval of our life. And there was, there was a price to be paid, and there were plenty of experts who said, don't do that. They just stay here, and there's, there's treatment here, and, and just do that. But this is what we felt like, man, this seems like the best option to give her a chance at winning and having a long life. And so we did that. But that meant basically 
walking away from my job, separating from our kids, separating from friends, just losing control of, of everything. And I, you know, I am glad that we did that. I am glad that we did that. But it was, there had to be a letting go of some things and then they could come into something more. And the same thing is true for us. And I just want to really leave us with, and hopefully you're doing this already, but asking the question of, God, what are the things that I need to let go of? For me to, to change the way you want me to change. For me to follow you into your, the adventure you have for me. For me to follow you into the purpose you have for me. For me to become the person you made me to be. What are those things that are like the bait for that monkey? That I'm like, you know, that's, I'm holding on to that. I've been holding on to that. But if I'm going to go to the next place, I've got to let go. And then, the question is, what are the things that God's calling you to grab onto? What are the things involved with centering in our life as him being our king, our leader? Like, what does that look like? What does it look like to, to follow him and make that the, the point that we're pursuing and base everything upon that? And Susanna's going to give us some practical options and, and discussions. Actually, I was thinking about the, the community groups, actually, and Campus meeting, like those are great places to just be like, you know, I'm going to prioritize, like gathering with other believers and meeting people who can help me grow, like that. Those would be some great things to grow on, to to grab onto, but there are a lot of other things too. Um, so let me just pray for for this, and then Michael, you can come back up, and we're going to keep worshiping God with some singing.